when I was a little boy, um, I, I wasn't really, I don't remember ever being afraid of the dark, uh, but I do remember that when it was nighttime, when it was nighttime, it was time to go to bed, my mom had this thing that she would do where she would put me in bed and then she would, um, she would leave my door cracked open and then she would leave the bathroom light on and the door open to the bathroom. Now, I'm sure her motivation was, you know, little boys in bathrooms. She wanted to make sure that I could see well when I was going to the bathroom. I'm sure that's part of it. But I remember thinking that, um, I remember thinking at night, as long as my door was cracked open and the bathroom light was on and I could see that light, I felt better about being in a room by myself. And so um, I came to the point where I began to associate the light with security. And don't, isn't that kind of what we all do? Shake your heads. Yes, anybody? Now, now, when I do this, there's something interesting that happens. I can see you, but what can you see? Yeah, just the light shining in your, in your eyes. The interesting thing about the, the, about the light is that when we're little, we really like the idea of there being a, a nightlight, and we're not really comfortable with the darkness. But it doesn't take long until we figure out that there are good things about the darkness. That that, for example, when I was a little boy, I figured out when it's dark and mom's asleep, I can go into the kitchen. And if I'm really quiet, I can find the snacks that she doesn't let me have. And I can eat them in the dark where nobody sees. The thing that I didn't know is that the crumbs that I left on the counter would be revealed in the daylight. And so you quickly determine as you get older, there are things about light and darkness that we come to like. For example, right now, if you're a lady, you may be holding your purse a little tighter. Why are you holding your purse tighter? Because you don't know what the person next to you is doing in the dark. But in the light, you have security of knowing. But meanwhile, the person next to you who may be taking things out of your purse, which... I don't know that they are, I mean, not, not here at church anyway, but let's just suggest if there were, while the darkness is making you uncomfortable, the darkness is their friend because they can only do in dark uh, what, what you would not let them do in the light. So there's a story that Jesus tells or this encounter that Jesus has with this fella named Nicodemus and Nicodemus is a rabbi. And if you've read the gospel accounts much, you know that Nicodemus was, uh, that the rabbis and the Pharisees were not Jesus' biggest fans. They questioned him in public, and they tried to trip him up. And so what happened was, over time, uh, there, some of the Pharisees began to, uh, began to think, hmm, maybe Jesus has got something going on. And there were two in particular that we know about, uh, because in the end of the story, uh, at his crucifixion and burial, there were two Pharisees who sort of outed themselves. They finally came out in the light. One was Joseph of the era of Arimathea who gave the tomb for Jesus to be buried in. And the other was a man named Nicodemus. But we first meet Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And we don't meet him in the daytime. We meet Nicodemus at night because Nicodemus is doing something he doesn't want his other Pharisee friends, to see him doing. He is going to Jesus to question him, but not in a way to embarrass him. He's going to, to him to question him out of sincerity because Nicodemus has come to a point where he realizes something is not right about this religion 
that we're supposed to be connecting to God, but I don't feel connected to God. We're supposed to feel, feel like we are God's sons and daughters, but I don't feel very connected. So he goes to Jesus and he sort of says, what do you have to do to inherit eternal life? What's the plan here, Jesus? What are you, what are you? And Jesus says, you have to start over, Nicodemus. Like, you have to be born again. There, you, there's no hope for you unless you start over. And Nicodemus realizes, well, that's impossible. And Jesus says, exactly, that is impossible. But God can make it happen. And so, so God, God has sent a plan. He's got a plan to save the world. And it has nothing to do, Nicodemus, with you. It has everything to do with what God has been doing from the beginning of time. And so he gives this speech. And in the middle of this speech, he, he, he has, there's this verse that we come across that many of us have memorized. And what I'd like us to do is I'd like us to read it together. So if you would, stand. Try not to trip or fall. But stand. And let's read this together from John chapter 3. Beginning in verse 16, let's read together what it is that Jesus says to Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to might be saved through him. Whoever believes in the sin is not condemned (laughs) but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of god and this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Father, thank you. Thank you for your love. Lord, That a love that we can't fully understand or comprehend and that is indescribable and unexplainable. And yet, Lord, today you've You've given us the task of coming together to to consider that, and you've given me the task to talk about that and share that. So I pray, Lord, that um, you will do what is impossible for me to do, and that is to convince the people who are sitting here today, and even convince myself of a love that is so amazing that it would go to any length to rescue and redeem us, a light that is so true that it would pierce any darkness. And Father, for those who are here today who feel unloved, Lord, may they feel your love. For those who are here today who are trapped in darkness, may they see the light. And Father, may we all move towards it. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege we have to gather and read this text today. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So this passage obviously is a very familiar passage. I think everybody has probably heard it or read it, John 3.16. You go to sports events, you see it up about a year and a half ago. Uh, I did a four-week series on John 3.16, and so every week we took it apart. You can still go to our website. I think it's still listed there in our, uh, in our media resources. You can go back and listen to it. Uh, but today, as we look at this entire passage, I want to talk to you about three things that I think this passage tells us. Three really important things for all of us here, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, whether you're somebody who is uh, a God follower, whether you, are a, uh, whether you acknowledge Christ or not, or whether, uh, whether or not you are just somebody who's here seeking, I think it tells us three really important things 
about God and, and about us. And the first thing is it tells us our condition. The second thing is it tells us God's response. And the third thing is it talks about our choice. And underneath all of that, we see the mission of God at work. People, the reason John 3.16, and I would argue John 3.17 should be in, always included, is such an important verse is because there may be no passage of Scripture uh, that more concisely describes the gospel message than John 3.16 and John 3.17. And it's not only Christ's mission in the world, but I believe it's our mission as the church. So I want us to take a look at this and look at these three things it teaches us. Our condition, God's response, and our choice. And if you're a note taker, uh, you can use the back of the bulletin today and kind of follow along and take some of these notes. The first thing is it tells us is about our condition, our condition. And you know, it's funny when we think about our condition, um, we go to the doctor when we feel sick in order for the doctor to diagnose us. Now there are some among us who think we can self-diagnose, right? And so you think, oh, I know what's wrong with me. And, and, commercials have made it so that you think you could even, if you had the ability to write yourself a prescription, you know based on commercials from drug companies, well, that's the drug that I should need. So there are a lot of people now, we've got a friend who's a doctor back in Huntsville, who they'll come in and they'll tell our doctor friend, hey, this is what you should prescribe me because this is what's wrong with me. And you know, sometimes, sometimes we're right, but many times we're wrong. Because we're not always the best at, at, at diagnosing ourselves. So, so this passage tells us our condition. And the first thing it tells us is this, that we are dying. That we're dying. Now, thank you very much for being here. Hope you come again next week. Isn't that good news? I didn't tell you anything you don't already know about yourself. And, and I, mean this, I mean this in a physical sense. Uh, you start getting older and things stop working. Come on, can I get an amen? I mean... All right, things stop working. And if you're not there yet, you're headed there pretty quickly. The minute you're born, you are already on the path to physical death. And here's what, here's what I find so, so fascinating about this is that I, I have, um, I've done more than 80 funerals in the past six and a half years. That's a lot of funerals. I, I have come to understand something. It doesn't matter how old the, the person who has passed away is. There is always this feeling or this sense that that was unfair. I, I recently did a funeral for somebody who was in their 90s. And you think, I mean, if you don't know the person, you think, well, they lived a good long life. I mean, they, isn't that what you want to hear when your mom or dad's gone to be with the Lord? I mean, they lived a good long life. And it's true. But there's something inside of us that feels like, you know what? I know they lived a good long life, but something about this feels very wrong. And it's because the Bible tells us that God has placed eternity in the heart of mankind. So it doesn't matter how long we live or how long our loved one lives. Whenever they die, there is that moment inside of us where we feel the tension of this isn't a part of the design. And it's because it wasn't part of the design. We, we know from the beginning that when God created man and woman, he created them in his image. God is an eternal being. He created us for eternity, not to be trapped by time. But yet because of sin, because sin entered into the picture, all kinds of things have happened. And part of that is a physical result of our own physical death. But it's worse than even our physical death because it also has to do with our spiritual death. 
that there are times in our life, even while our biology is still working, where we feel death in us. We feel something broken. Maybe for you, it was at a desperate time. Uh, Maybe at a time where you're going through a relationship breakup. Maybe for you, it was at a financial crisis. Maybe Maybe it was a physical crisis or the loss of a loved one. I don't know what it was, but there are moments where you feel death coming about you. And we know that this verse tells us this condition, because listen to what he says. He says, that whosoever believes in him should not perish. What is, what is Jesus implying? Jesus is implying that you are perishing. You are dying. We all are dying, and it's part of the human condition. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3 and again in Romans chapter 6 that everybody has sinned. Everybody. Now, I know as we look around the room, what we tend to do is because we recognize everybody has sinned, we just sort of discount our own sin because our sin isn't as bad as somebody else's sin. Or you watch the TV or you hear the news or you look back in history and you think, well, my sin's not as bad as some of those people, those infamous people that we've heard about in history. And therefore, we sort of discount our sin. I thought about this because we think, well, you know, the Bible says everybody's sinned and the wages of sin is death, that everybody will, will die. But then... There's this permit. Like, my sin's not that bad. I mean, I don't deserve the death penalty because of my sin. Now, there are other people I know who God could send a lightning bolt any time, and that would be justified, but not my sin. And I started thinking about this in relationship to our laws, to our rules. So if I were to drive the speed limit all the way down San Jose Boulevard, and I were, I were in the speed limit, and I were in my lane, I was driving, I was using all the proper signals, and I get all the way to, go all the way down the road, and I run one, run one red light. Do you think that police officer is going, to, is going to forgive me running the red light because I followed all the other rules? See, the minute we have entered into sin, we've already violated God's holiness, God's perfection. We've got, a pro- we've got two problems, really. One problem is that God is holy. I mean, you think, well, that's a problem. Yeah, it's a real problem for us because the second reality is that we're not. And so we cannot be in the presence of a holy God and the holy God still be holy. That if he is holy, then that means he's pure. And any impurity on our part would taint his holiness. And so what do we do? How how do we get around that? Because there are those who say, well, I just believe in a loving God. That's just, that's my God. God's just loving God. And I'm like, yeah, I I believe that too. But the problem is God's not only holy, he's also righteous. He's not only loving, he's also righteous and holy and just. So I thought about this. What if you had a judge, if we had a judge in the city of Jacksonville, who was really a loving guy, and very compassionate, or a loving woman, very compassionate. And so loving that, that, that anybody, any criminal that came up to this judge, the, the judge would say, you know what, that was really bad, don't do it anymore. Would you say that that's a loving judge? You wouldn't say that. Because you want to make sure that, 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 that the laws are being abided by, that we live in a safe community. What if there were a doctor, and your doctor diagnosed you with a, a very aggressive disease. And this disease was going to require, the, there, there was a cure for it, but the, the cure was going to require a very, very painful and very difficult uh, process. And the doctor said, you know what? I just love you so much, I can't put you through that pain. So we're just going to let the disease do what the disease will. Some of you have been there. You would not say that doctor was a loving doctor, would you? 
that the doctor, the loving thing the doctor does is attacks the disease, even if it means that it inflicts some harm or pain on you to do it. The loving judge brings security to injustice, even if that means that a criminal has to pay for their crimes. So, so our problem is, how can God be just and also loving? Because th- this, is, this is the tension. This is the tension that we, that we all feel. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. As for you, this is our condition, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. Like the rest, we were by nature's deserving of wrath. Now, that's not very encouraging news. But that's the reality of our condition. That we are dying. But it's worse than just that. If it were just that, we might could overcome it because of what God has done for us. But the second problem may be more difficult. And that our, our condition is we are hiding in darkness. We're hiding in darkness. Listen to what he goes on to say in verse 19 and 20. And this is the judgment. Okay? Now catch that. We don't like that word in church. We don't like that word when we talk about things. But listen to what the judgment is. Pay attention here. Because we already know that he said in verse 17, Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. But he says, this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Now, I want you to go back in your mind just to children's Sunday school, to the children's Bible that you used to read. Maybe your mom and dad read it to you or a grandparent read it to you. You remember the story in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve did what they weren't supposed to do and sin entered the picture? They ate the fruit from the tree that they were told not to do it. And do you remember that they ate it and their eyes were opened and they saw that they were what? And we all used to... You know, in the little children's Bible, you know, the, the, the tree, the bush was placed just strategically in the picture so that you could tell. Yeah, so, so this, they were, they were naked. And then what did they do? It's like they realized they were naked. And then the next thing they did was what? They, hide, they hid. They hid like they were going to be able to, to hide from God. And this is, what, this is what Jesus is talking about in John chapter 3. That light came into the world. People preferred darkness. That God sent light And from the minute sin entered the picture, man has been trying to reverse the created order and go back into the darkness. This is what they tried to do. And you know what? We still do this in dark rooms where we drink too much. And in dark rooms where we hide the secret stash. In dark rooms where no one can see the websites that we visit or the magazines we keep or the text messages we send. We still hide in darkness, don't we? And what's interesting about that is I wonder, from whom do we think we're hiding? Who do we think we're hiding from? We love darkness not only because we think we can hide from other people, but somehow we've convinced ourselves that we can hide from God, as if God cannot see us in the darkness. But mostly, I believe this, mostly I believe we're hiding from ourselves because we don't want to face what we do. And who we are. We don't, we don't want to face that reality. And so darkness becomes our friend. And we resist the light that has come into the world. And John says this. That is the judgment. There it is. In other words, you judged yourself. God didn't have to do it. You judged yourself by hiding from the darkness. And here's what we know. Here's what I know about myself. And here's what I'm sure is true about you too. 
isn't it true that you don't have to be told when you're doing something wrong? The fact is, you know it's wrong. That's why you're trying to hide it. If you were, if you were in any way comfortable with it, you'd be comfortable doing out in the broad daylight. But you don't. You continue to hide. So our condition, we're dying and we're hiding in the darkness. Now listen to God's response because this is where the good news, all that's the bad news. And the reality is the bad news is our doing, not God's. But listen to the good news. The first thing, God's response is unconditional love. God so loved the world and it doesn't have a condition on it, does it? It didn't say God so loved the world because men finally got their act together and they finally figured out which denomination was the right and which way to baptize people was the right way and which way to take communion is the right way to take communion and which day to worship on is the right day to worship. He just said God so loved the world. He already loved us. He just loved us. And here again, John is talking back, if if you're picking up the image from Genesis chapter 1, what did, what, did, what did God do in the beginning? In the beginning, God created what? The heavens and the earth. Yeah, God created the earth. But notice what it says here. God created the earth, but in John 3, God loved the world. You know, the earth is the planet on which we live. The world is, is the human, uh, human imprint on that planet. And it's not a great imprint all the time, is it? God loved us anyway. He created the earth but he loved the world. God created the light. And then in John 3, we see God sent light into the world, but men loved darkness. And God loved us anyway, even in the darkness. Unconditional love. And the second thing is not only unconditional love, but sacrificial love. He so loved us that he gave his only begotten son. A sacrificial love. And Jesus was not God's plan B. From the very foundation of the world, the Bible tells us, Christ's sacrifice was planned. That before God breathed life into Adam and Eve, he already knew what it would cost him. And he did it anyway. That God was willing to sacrifice. And so he sent Jesus into this broken, dark world to redeem us. That's why John 3.17 is such an important verse. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Why didn't he send his son to condemn the world? Because we were already condemned. We did that to ourselves. I did that to myself. What, What I needed was not somebody to come and condemn me. I needed somebody to come and rescue me. And that's what Jesus came to do. That's the mission he came to fulfill. God's response, unconditional love, sacrificial love. And listen to this, it's a universal invitation. God so loved the world that whoever, that's an important word, that whoever believes in him, doesn't matter where you're from, doesn't matter who your parents were, doesn't matter what color your skin is, doesn't matter how much money or how little money you have in your banking account, your checking account. It doesn't matter what your religious background is. It doesn't matter what your language is, what country you were born in, whosoever. It's a universal invitation that God is extending to everybody around the world. And and just just so that we're clear that this message is consistent throughout the Bible, it's not just this one verse. Let let me read you another verse that I I find very encouraging. 2 Peter 3, verse 9. 
The Lord is not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God wants everybody to receive this. God wants everybody to walk into the light. This is the invitation he's making. Back in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23, this may shatter your image of God right here. If you come in with an image of God, that that God somehow delights in in judgment and, and condemnation, listen to this verse. And it's from the Old Testament, and it's from a prophet, a hellfire and brimstone preacher. Listen to what he said. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God. And not rather that he should turn from his way and live. That's a powerful verse. That God's invitation to you is universal. And it doesn't matter what you've done. See, there's no way that you could have done anything so bad that God would love you any less. God's love for you is not conditional upon your behavior. If it were, he would have never sent Jesus in the first place. You think, but you don't know what I've done. But I would just I would challenge you with this question. If there is something that you have done that disqualifies you from God's love, then you need to know this, that none of us have any hope in Christ. None of us. Because if Christ's love is not sufficient for one, then it's not sufficient for any. It's a, it's a universal invitation. Listen to what he said in Psalm chapter 103, verse 9 through 13. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heaven is above the earth, so great is the love for those who fear him. So far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And so you say, well then, well, hold on, because doesn't that then make God like that judge you described? That, that judge who just tells everybody, oh, it's okay, we'll look the other way? It doesn't. Because God was himself willing to pay the penalty for the sins by sending his son into the world and dying on the cross. See, John chapter 3, 14 and 15, Jesus said, just as Moses lifted up the serpent, so the son of man must be Lift it up that all who would look on him would have life. The death of Jesus was the payment of the penalty for our sin. And that invitation is extended to anyone. And here's where it comes to us. Our choice. And our choice is pretty simple. Life or death. One or the other. Life or death. Listen to what God told his people in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19 and 20. I have set before you life and death. Blessings and curses. Now, choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him for the Lord is your life. This is the light that has come into the world. The life and the light of man. You see, apart from him, we were already dead, the Bible said. So the choice that we have is to continue in our process of death or to accept the gift of God made available through Jesus Christ. A choice for life. This is the message of the gospel. 
This is why last week, the celebration of Easter is such a big deal for us. Because Jesus is alive and he has given us a way to overcome sin, death, and the grave forevermore. And it's not through the good things we do. And we're not disqualified from it because of the bad things that we've done. But because of his mercy and because of his his grace, the offer is extended to each and every one. So my question for you as we wrap up is, what would it take for God to convince you that he loves you? What would it take? I didn't ask the question, what would it take to convince you that you're worthy of his love? Because I think part of the reality is we all come to the point where we realize I'm probably not worthy. That's what makes his love so amazing is that I'm not worthy and he loves me anyway. But what would it take for you to truly believe that God loves you? And by knowing that he loves you, would you be willing to step out of the darkness and into the light? 1 John 1, 7 says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we'll have fellowship with one another because it's pretty hard to have fellowship in the dark when we're hiding from each other. We'll have fellowship with one another and the blood of his son Jesus will purify us from all sins. But what do we have to do? We have to come into the light. God sent it into the world. This is the invitation he's extended. Are you willing to step into the light? And for some of you, you're believers. Everything I've said about Jesus, John 3, 16, you're down with that. But do you know what? There's still times, there's still parts of your life where you prefer to live in the darkness, aren't there? Why not come into the light? Why not leave the darkness behind and let the light and the life of Christ penetrate every area of your life? That's what he's inviting you. See, See, salvation isn't about a one-time experience. It's about a daily walk with Christ. Because there are, there are moments where we all sort of try to go back into the darkness. There are things about our life. There are things about our history. There are things that we're doing that we try to hide. And yet, God's constantly calling us to life and to light. Would you come into the light? One last thing I think this passage teaches us as a church is that if this was Christ's mission, John 3.16, John 3.17, then it teaches us something, church, about the mission of the church. How do we carry that mission on in the world today? We love all people, no matter what. You're loved. This is not a place of of condemnation and judgment. We, We let God sort that out. Because the reality is, we don't have to condemn or judge. That's already happened. You feel the weight of that judgment already in your life. You don't need us to pile onto that. If God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, what right do I think he's given me to condemn the world? I don't have that right. We're called to love people. We're called to give, to serve, to sacrifice for the salvation of those people who are lost. This is the mission of God in the world. And he's invited us to be a part of that mission as we walk in the light with him. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and pray with me. And I just want to, um, I just want to extend this invitation for you to think about, think about the areas of your life right now where, quite honestly, you'd be a little uncomfortable if somebody turned the light on. And I just want you to now in your heart acknowledge 
that in that dark place, God already sees you? And maybe today for the first time, or maybe for you, this is a prayer you pray with great frequency. You would pray this along with me. Father, forgive me. Forgive me for staying in the darkness when you've sent the light. Father, I believe. As John 3.16 extends the invitation to all who believe, Lord, I believe. And I ask you to help me in my unbelief to walk in the light, to receive your gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, your son. Father, for those who are here today, who for the first time are willing to step into the light, Lord, I pray that they would would not turn back, but would continue to walk in the light as you are the light. For those, Lord, who have accepted the truth of the gospel message, but still find themselves struggling with the darkness, Lord, I pray that today, today they would, Allow your light to penetrate. And it will be uncomfortable, and it will be blinding, and it may be embarrassing, but Lord, I pray that today they would find the freedom that comes with the light and the life of your son, Jesus Christ. For we pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen.